First up, Bruce Shapiro. I know the State of the Union happens any minute, but let's first talk about the balloon. Uh, well, first of all, I, I will not match your your feats of alliteration. It's just not going to happen, Philip. Sorry. But, you know, the if you want to say that Beijing's bubble burst, you can do that. Um, you, you know, the coming at a crucial and very delicate moment in the relationship between the U.S. and China, on the one hand, with all of this months of ratcheting up of, of tension around Taiwan and, and, and the economy, and on the other hand, uh, with Secretary of State Blinken, having been on the cusp, on the eve of a trip to China, the highest level uh, U.S. visit in quite a few years, um, it's a little bit gobsmacking to think about a Chinese surveillance balloon sent over at the same time. Uh, and, and well, I have to say it makes me wonder about arguments within Chinese leadership as much as anything else. Um, but, you know, domestically in the U.S., it's also easy to overreact to this. Um, the reality is that big powers have endless ability, desire, need, and action in, in surveilling one another. And there actually is nothing new about even this balloon, except that it was identified and made public. Um, it's turning out now that there were a bunch of other previous Chinese balloons that the Pentagon chose not to talk about. And I think we're going to see probably Republicans in Congress try to make political hay of that. Uh, it's not going to go over very well since many of these balloons happened during the Trump years. Uh, um, you know, you I've always thought that Trump himself is a Russian balloon, but that's well, just me. Well, then there's that. Uh, you know, you can go back to the Cold War days of uh, the U-2 overflights to uh, see how the kinds of routine action that great powers take against one another when they become public can easily turn into political footballs, if not always political balloons. That's probably going to happen a bit in this case. Uh, my guess is to stretch the metaphor a bit, that it's going to blow over because neither country has much of an interest in um, pressing its surveillance claims against the other to the wall. They, they you said you were going to, to avoid alliteration and there you've got the <laughs> balloon thing blowing over. I don't know. Sorry about that. I hate to inflict my, my poor attempts at humor on you at this hour. Um, but no, but but look, um, the fact is that China wants to preserve its ability to stay on top of the United States. The United States wants to preserve its ability uh, to stay on top of, of of China. The bigger surveillance issue is barely being discussed, which has been the uh, degradation in the relationship between the U.S. and Russia and, and arms control, and in particular. Uh, Russia's decision over the last couple of years to to restrict overflights, uh, aerial surveillance of nuclear sites. That in some ways is, is far more of a, a challenge and it's one that Washington is trying not to talk about right now. 
I'm talking to Bruce Shapiro, uh, Voice of America, and Bruce is, of course, contributing editor with The Nation and exec director of the Dart Centre for Journalism and Trauma at Columbia University. And for some unfathomable reason, we're talking to him in Dublin. How will all this play into Biden's second State of the Union? That's not very far away. Only a few hours away as we speak. Um, well, I, you know, the, the question of, of relationships with China, competition with China, and of American projection of power um, is high on the Biden agenda, and I'm sure he would plan to speak about it. The reality is, though, that what Biden really hopes to do here is change the subject. Uh, whatever talking about discussion of Ukraine, whatever discussion about Russia and China needs to happen. What Biden really wants to talk about is the economy uh, because last week um, we got some extraordinary news at a point when every economist on the planet was predicting uh, recession. We got the, the, the best jobs report in many years. Indeed, employment at the U.S., is now the highest rate. Unemployment is at the lowest rate since I was two years old. That's a long time ago. Um, this has um, Biden's, the combination of Biden's um, Build Back Better, Inflation Reduction Act, economic planning, and the um, the post-pandemic surge in travel, in service industries, all of that is powering um, the strongest economy we've had in a long time. And there's big arguments about whether this will all end with inflation and what happens if the Fed raises interest rates further. But Biden wants to make the case for a new social contract driven by his success uh, in, in getting the economy out of the trouble it was in. He wants to talk about taxing the wealthy. That's going to be a major theme. Right, he wants to restore some of the social safety net that was corroded during the Trump years, uh, and in particular, as I said, call for raising taxes on the the most prosperous Americans. Um, this is in the face, of course, of a Republican House of Representatives that wants none of it, that wants to. Uh, disrupt and stall any attempts at legislation. But I think Biden does have a kind of unique moment at this speech. This is, um, I, he's, he's got a Republican majority in the House that people think is a joke. He's positioning himself to make an argument for bipartisanship and a redefining of what Americans owe one another. Um, whether he'll succeed, who knows? It's always a bit of a crapshoot with Biden and his speeches. But he does see this as a big moment, particularly since he wants to uh, decide to run for re-election. Okay, now there's talk he may uh, travel to Poland around the first anniversary of the invasion of Ukraine. For support for the high level of support seems to be waning. Well, you know, let's remember that a, a year ago, um, Ukraine was not even on the kind of polling map of most Americans. There, there wasn't a whole lot of support prior to that. Um, you know, I, th 
you, the Ukraine conflict has defied expectations on all sides, um, in large part because of the extraordinary resilience of, of Ukraine, the extraordinary um, strategic errors of Russia, the leadership of Volodymyr Zelensky. Those, those trend lines, if you will, are going to continue. Um, the question will be whether Ukraine remains a contained and limited conflict as awful as it is, or if the weaponry which the U.S. and European allies uh, are pouring in, the economic sanctions which the, thus far the allies have um, maintained discipline on, you know, whether those inspire a flailing Putin to try to provoke further and wider conflict. Um, it, it, there's no question that the next year is dangerous. At the same time, it's hard to see how Russia is going to be any more successful this year than America was another year into Vietnam or than the Soviet Union was another year into Afghanistan. The dynamic is very similar. Will he announce he's going to run again? Not tonight. This isn't that moment. This is a moment where he is trying to make a case that his leadership can speak for a wide swath of Americans, including critically unaffiliated and independent voters who may think of themselves as somewhat economically conservative and yet socially liberal who have concerns about kids and concerns you know, about uh, climate, etc., uh, it, 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 this is the case for him running again, and then I think we will see in the next couple of months that decision formally announced. But this will be the case rather than the announcement. We only have a, a minute or so left, uh, Bruce, but uh, the uh, the killing, the murder of Tyrone Nichols must be mentioned. Well, it, it's, he's Tyree Nichols' family um, will be in the congressional gallery. Um, the question of, of safe policing and policing reform will certainly be part of Biden's speech. He is someone who has had criminal justice policy in both effective ways like the Violence Against Women Act and uh, in ways that have come back to haunt us, mandatory minimums and so on, as a big part of his record. And Biden has a very important job to do in articulating for police reform. And I, you know, and I have to say, for those who think that nothing has ever changed. Um, as awful as Mr. Nichols' murder was, and as much as it shows the danger of special policing units and all of this, the reaction of the Memphis Police Department in immediately firing five officers, the immediate prosecution of those officers for homicide, something that has been mirrored over the last few months in a number of cities around the country where police violence has occurred, including in my own city of, of New Haven, does suggest that the dynamic around police violence can change and is changing. It doesn't mean that we're there, but it is striking to see quick action taken against police officers instead of um, the usual cover-up and the usual minimizing and the usual casting of blame on the victim. Um, awful video, an awful, hideous you know, brutal torture and murder of an innocent man was dealt with 
quickly and decisively, and that itself is somewhat newsworthy. Bruce, thanks for that. Bruce Shapiro, contributing editor with The Nation and executive director of the Dart Centre for Journalism and Trauma at Columbia. Think bigger about the world we live in. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.